So some of you might know our beloved Kim at Everyday Church as Butch's wife, but there were many years before they got married that she was a successful single working woman named Kim Hunter. And Butch told me that after they got married, she kept her maiden name at work. So she's still known as Kim Hunter. And he said that whenever he is working on something that he needs a little bit of help getting solving the problem, getting something done, he calls and asks Kim Hunter to come to, into the room because evidently Kim Hunter gets things done. So there's a similar kind of situation at our house and that is that the girls have learned that when their teachers or administrators at their school, maybe there's a misunderstanding with them or they aren't listening well, they will ask Larry to kind of help them by writing an email. And here's the thing, his emails, they're always polite and respectful, um, but they're also very clear and direct. And in all three of my girls' experience, their experiences, uh, his emails, they, they get things done. But who do we turn to when it seems like things are unfair? They're not right. They're unjust in our world. Who do we turn to to fix it? And do we have the trust that ev eventually who we go to for help will in fact get things done to make things right? We've been in our current teaching series your kingdom come for several weeks now looking at Jesus's teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. And in Jesus's teaching, he centers the importance of those society marginalized, the poor, the suffering, the merciful, the meek. And he also frequently emphasizes the internal intentions of his followers. Instead of focusing on a list of rules to follow, if you remember a few weeks ago, we talked about the difference between the pure and the pure in heart. Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart. Why? Because they live out of their devotion and their love for God instead of intentions to keep rules in order to have more power or praise or to be accepted. We also discussed Jesus's teaching a few weeks ago when we talked about loving your enemy and how in that passage it says to be whole like God is whole. And how we treat others in our forgiveness and mercy should be like God and motivated out of love for all. So we are whole because what's inside of us is the same as our actions. Today we're going to look at a rather familiar passage in Jesus' teaching on prayer. And I know we focused on this passage before in other teachings over the years at Everyday Church. However, today I want to look differently at this passage, to look at it and how it relates to its context inside the teaching of the Sermon on the Mount. Often we take this passage out of the bigger teaching and we just focus on it as an individual prayer. Instead, I want us to see how it relates to the other teachings we have already looked at inside the Sermon on the Mount. So let's begin in Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 8. It says, When you pray, do not be like those who only pretend to be holy. They love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners. They want to be seen by other people. What I'm about to tell you is true. They have received their complete reward. When you pray, 
go into your room, close the door, and pray to your father who can't be seen. Your father will reward you because he sees what you do secretly. And when you pray, do not keep talking on and on. That is what ungodly people do. They think they will be heard because they talk a lot. Do not be like them. Your father knows what you need even before you ask him. So first off, Jesus is speaking to a crowd of Jewish people who have this long established tradition of how to pray. They've had prayers that were memorized since they were small children that they have recited each day, sometimes multiple times a day, or these prayers that they prayed each week or on special occasions. So they knew what words to say. But here again, Jesus' fo focus is on the person praying their intentions. Why are they praying? Are they praying to get attention from other people? Now, certainly Jesus is not saying that the only way to pray is alone in your closet. Because we see Jesus after this, you know, he's with his disciples and he's praying in front of other people. And we also see Jesus pray long prayers. So it isn't the length and the amount of words that are the problem. It's the true intention of the prayer. That is what Jesus is concerned about. Because Jesus looks again at the heart and the motivation of the prayer. So then he models what a kingdom prayer looks like. This is his prayer. He says, this is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, may your name be honored. May your kingdom come. May what you want to happen be done on earth as it is done in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our sins, just as we also have forgiven those who sin against us. Keep us from sinning when we are tempted. Save us from the evil one. Forgive other people when they sin against you. If you do, your Father who is in heaven will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive the sins of the other people, your Father will not forgive you. So it's interesting that this prayer is similar in some ways to Jesus's answer to what is the greatest commandment. You remember his answer comes from the Hebrew prayer, the Shema that we studied earlier in 2020. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. You should love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. And so he says, the greatest commandment is to love your God. And then he adds a second part to that to love your neighbor as yourself. And so the first part of this prayer is kind of similar to that first part of the commandment, to love your God. He says, Our Father in heaven, may your name be honored. May your kingdom come. May what you want to happen be done on earth as it is done in heaven. Jesus begins his prayer distinguishing God from other recipients of prayer in other religions. For example, the Greeks and the Romans. He uses the word father, this relationship that um, other gods didn't have, or other people in their gods, they didn't have that. They were always trying to make their gods kind of do what they wanted. It wasn't this uh, loving relationship, a covenant relationship. Jesus says, that your father knows what you need even before you ask him. So that clearly there's this loving relationship and that our prayers should show that. It also, it also shows that um, this relationship is a communal one. We're not just saying my 
Father. We're saying our Father. And it's more than just a pronoun. This prayer continues with the hope that God will have this unique role in society and the world. That his name would be honored for who he is, a God that is merciful and just. And so this prayer begins with a call to action. It is showing a hope of change, a desire of the world to reflect who God is. We know him as a loving and merciful God. Will you show up in this world so that everyone knows that? Have you ever considered this prayer to be a prayer of action? That Jesus wants God to act, to bring in the kingdom in order to display his rule, his loving rule on earth. A call for a kingdom to be full of God's people flourishing in this world under Christ as the king. I mentioned that the Jewish people had this long tradition of recited prayers, Jewish prayers. And these are the prayers that Jesus would have memorized and been raised reciting. And one Jewish prayer that's quite similar to this is known as the Kaddish. Um, and so I'm going to read a passage of that for you, and you'll see the, the similarities. It says, Magnified and sanctified be his great name in the world, which he created according to his will. And may he establish his kingdom during your life and during your days and during the life of all the house of Israel, speedily and in the near future and say amen so we see these similar themes in this prayer to jesus's prayer however the expectation was that the kingdom in in the kadesh prayer that the kingdom would be an earthly kingdom where the house of israel would again have this earthly power and strength you know, they would be politically powerful and that they would um, have riches and the, their military strength. But Jesus adds another important aspect to that prayer, similar to how he added to the greatest commandment. In the Kadesh prayer, the focus is on the relationship between the one praying and God. And Jesus adds that our prayers will go beyond our relationship with God and become relational with God and with others. We are to love our God and love our neighbor. And so we see this in the second half of the prayer. It says, give us today our daily bread and forgive us our sins, just as we also have forgiven those who sin against us. Keep us from sinning when we are tempted and save us from the evil one. And then Jesus gives Speaking to those who are praying the prayer, he says, when you forgive other people when they sin against you, if you do, your Father who is in heaven will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive the sins of the other people, your Father will not forgive your sins. So the first verse of this section reminds us of Jesus's emphasis on those who think about provision for their food daily. The poor, the orphan, the widow, the stranger. But it's also a reminder to, to those of us who don't think about who or how we are going to eat each day um, that we aren't supposed to be preoccupied with money and possessions. The use of the word today suggests to us that we're not to worry about tomorrow, but instead trust God for what we need that day. 
And I don't know about you, but I have done a lot of worrying about tomorrow during 2020. And so perhaps we need this reminder in the prayer that Jesus isn't praying monthly, you know, for monthly or yearly bread, but daily bread. There is not a promise that we'll have garages and freezers filled with toilet paper and year's supply of frozen food. Instead, it's an expectation of what we need each day, trusting that each day God will meet our needs. The next part of the prayer is a reminder that God and his kingdom are merciful and therefore an expectation for us to be merciful as well. Remember Jesus' teaching of loving our enemy and praying for those who persecute you. He's saying forgiven people, kingdom people, forgive others. Those who genuinely love others, forgive. And those who don't, aren't kingdom people. And it's one thing to say this, but we know it's another thing to really do it. And that's the reason why Jesus includes it. Just a few things that are important to pray over and over again. Forgiveness is one that he includes in this prayer with this idea that we will need to pray this over and over again. Then there's that phrase that says, keep us from sinning when we are tempted. Save us from the evil one. Now, I imagine that some of you um, memorize this in a translation that can be a little bit confusing. The lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This idea like that God is leading us to be tempted. And I think that's an unfortunate um, translation and it's helpful to look at another passage that Paul writes in 1 Corinthians. I think it helps us understand what Jesus is talking about, how we are tempted, and how God works in that. So 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 13 says, God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. This request in the prayer is a request for perseverance and preservation from sin and temptation. There's just this expectation that um, in life, year after year of waiting for the kingdom to fully come, we are going to be living life with people, forgiving them and loving them as messy, broken people. And when we do that, we are tempted to sin in all kinds of ways. Remember a few weeks ago, we talked about the difference between the Greeks' view of sin was this understanding of not meeting perfection. But a Hebrew way of understanding sin was anything that breaks the relationship. And so when we think about that and in this prayer of lead us not into temptation is that we know that when we are sharing life with broken people, that we will be tempted to break relationships in all types of way. And so we need to pray that, that we would be able to persevere and choose another way, the kingdom way um, to keep relationships with one another.
So over the thousands of years of church history, this prayer has been recited and prayed in multiple languages by followers of Jesus, kingdom people. It's a reminder of what is important to kingdom people and to Jesus. But it's also a call to action from God, a prayer that is said in expectation that our yearning and aching for God's kingdom to come and for the flourishing of, for all people, that when we ache and we pray this prayer, that it prompts God to action, an action that satisfies those yearnings and aches. And so if you've ever felt like you don't know how to take action in the face of all the injustice and brokenness you see in this world, Jesus gives us a way to act, to pray as he prayed. Our Father in heaven, may your name be honored. May your kingdom come. May what you want to happen be done on earth as it is done in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our sins just as we also have forgiven those who sin against us. Keep us from sinning when we are tempted and save us from the evil one. Amen.